What is going on, baseball fans? Welcome to episode 13, the final 2020 season edition of This Week in Baseball, presented by Diamond Digest. It's been a fun 13 episodes. Myself and Callie have enjoyed the entire ride, and for this last episode, we got two familiar faces, Scott Bentley, Diego Franco Carreno. Boys, how we doing? Doing great. Fantastic. Glad to be uh, glad to be back. Took a 11-week hiatus, you know, but... It's been a little uh, bit. Glad, glad to be back. <laughs> I was last time, last time I was on here, we were... I'm pretty sure we can go back and check the tape, but I'm reasonably sure uh, that I said something along the lines of Gregory Soto is the best relief pitcher in all of baseball. <laughs> I, I think those I think words came out of my like mouth that, yeah. on our yeah, last episode. Club. I think that's the part of the season... <laughs> the, the 13 appearances and no earned runs. I think that's – and he ended with, like, an over-4 ERA, so. Well, you came on at a good time for the Tigers. Yeah, see? <laughs> I, that's that's what I – you know, that's really – we were one game out of the playoffs and ended with the third pick. So I really did pick the, the a great time. <laughs> well, we're glad to have you back regardless. And this time, a lot of World Series talk, obviously. We got no way. plenty that came out of just – Game six and the result itself. Um, but but we'll kind of wrap up the whole World Series, talk about a little bit of what's come to it or come from it, um, and then what's to come over these next several months as we all try and figure out what our personality is now that baseball has been taken away from us. I, I realize I said on Twitter, I'm like, when baseball is gone, I don't have a. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. What I'm the supposed people to that do follow here. me are like, like, yeah. why? Like, yeah, why? See in three months. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to say some, some dumb crap about breakfast food. Today. I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Scott, please start tweeting like that. Just... <laughs> I'm gonna make I'm gonna make post game videos for my breakfast every morning. <laughs> please do. Yes, please. That's at least <laughs> once a week, twice a week, something. Oh god, yeah. We all need to figure out what we're doing with ourselves now. Yes. Oh, I don't know. Maybe I'll do some food reviews myself. Who knows? There you go. There yeah. you go. <laughs> Let's get into it and then get into the always fun seventh inning stretch portion. It's really the main only part of our segment. Or show here, honestly, with nothing to watch oh, this coming God. week. Not really any storylines to follow. Um, but if you're just waking up and you don't know what happened yet in the World Series, I'm happy to inform you, or sad to inform you, if you're not happy, a Dodger or not a Dodgers fan. The Dodgers won the World Series, four games to two. Um, certainly a pretty interesting series. Um, I think there was a lot of conversation about whether or not this year was going to feel legitimate, whether or not the World Series was going to feature the best of the best teams. And I think you can reasonably say that the best team won the World Series this year. Um, and this is something certainly we'll get into in a little bit. But just this one analyst take certainly was not disappointed with the World Series and something we'll talk about um, with the rest of our crew shortly. One other thing we'll talk about, but I want to preface here because with our touching base segment, we usually talk about COVID updates and we had nothing for like four Ever. straight weeks. And <laughs> then all of a sudden, Justin Turner's removed from game six. There's no word on why until after the game, when it's revealed Justin Turner was removed for a positive COVID test. Um, Justin Turner was also later seen on the field in what Manfred and the league described as 
a negligence of protocol and a refusal to comply and was out taking pictures with the team, with the trophy, um, in, in what might sadly become a super spreader event of some sort. Now, all the Dodgers players did test negatively for COVID. Um, they were all sent home, and whether or not you agree with the time frame in which the tests were taken and they were allowed to go home is your belief on how much you buy into some of what science is surrounding this, so... That's the facts there. Um, certainly something we'll discuss as we enter seventh inning stretch starting now. Um, you're tired of hearing me talk already. But Never. Scott, no, Never. you're too kind. <laughs> Scott, Scott, I believe this is your first time playing it, though. It is. It absolutely is. Yeah, this uh, this has not been um, – I mean, I, I like I listened to all of them, so I'm, I'm familiar. But the last time that I was on was pre – was pre-seventh-inning stretch era, so this is my first time playing, and I can't wait to dunk on Diego. Seems to be a common theme. It really is. Like, Callie, my first time uh, with seventh-inning stretch, Callie just obliterated me, came to me for, like, no reason. I'm like, all Isn't right, that's fine. Alec Mills had a more impressive no-hitter than... That was the second one I, uh, I did. Yeah. I did like, you just absolutely just, like, dunked on me for no reason. Diego's had a rough little stretch here, and Callie Thanks has certainly ride. dominated every single episode of seventh inning stretch two. that you haven't slept through. Um, <laughs> that's the one I won. And that's the one Diego won. So. But let's jump into it, and hopefully, Diego, this is a better start for you. We'll find out. I'm hoping but for a point. I'm sure you will find a way to get a point at some point. But Scott's face said otherwise. I jumped the gun. <laughs> okay. okay. Here we go. Question one. Amid the celebration at the end of game six for the Dodgers, as I previously as previously said, it was announced that Justin Turner was removed during the game due to a positive COVID test and was later shown on the field taking pictures with the team and the trophy. We all just walked right through this. He wasn't wearing a mask at all times either, which is an important note. My question is this. What do you make of the situation? Does Major League Baseball potentially have a problem on their hands? Um, who do I want to start with? We'll start with Kelly. This is absolutely a problem on their on MLB's hands, and I think that it's something they need to take extremely seriously. If I were Rob Manfred, I would fine uh, Justin Turner all his playoff and World Series bonuses, as well as a portion of his prorated salary from this year. I think you need to make a very hard line stance that this is not acceptable. We are taking this seriously. Uh, Turner did something very bad, and we are going to treat this like such. I think anything less would be extremely ne negligible, extremely lazy on their part. Scott, what you got? Um, I think, I mean, yeah, obviously it's a huge problem. Um, I think that... Uh, Manfred absolutely can send a message, but I think that the um, more important problem is kind of a reflection period for Manfred. I think that there were a lot of rules and protocols in place that were just straight up not followed. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, it, everybody knew that he tested positive. And nobody stopped him from going back out of the field. And yes, it is completely, um, I mean, I don't really care if I sound harsh. It's completely ignorant on his part to go back out in the field and do what he did. 
but that is not to say that it is um, any less of a problem of these, uh, like I said, these rules and regulations that baseball put in place that, I mean, clearly if they were put in place and, and just put in place without punishment, then that's a problem. And Callie's absolutely right. He should probably go in and, and punish them like crazy, but uh, clearly something was wrong in the original, uh, whatever you want to call it, system of the entire thing to, to make it so that he could test positive, get pulled from the game, but then just end up right back on the field with everybody anyways. Um, I, and I think this goes back to also, you can't call it a bubble if there's fans. Like I think, mm-hmm. just think there's, there's so many issues at hand. And um, I think that, like I said, it, it absolutely is a problem with Turner and he absolutely should be punished. But I think this is more of a just reflection period. The, the, the cherry on top of the season, quite literally, um, to, for everybody to look in the mirror and realize how, how lackluster and, and how, to use the word Callie did, lazy. That, that this just whole system was. Diego. Yeah, um, I mean, I think it's absolutely egregious what the MLB just kind of like allowed. Like, it's not okay. Like, I think uh, Callie's point, um, she said how um, there needs to be, like, fines and all of that. I think it should come in, like, par- with all those fines, like, with a suspension. Suspend him for half the season next year. I think it's like a kind of to Scott's point, you have all these regulations and everything. Like, yes, they're put in place. Granted, Manfred, he's putting them in place and everything, but we never really got to see these major repercussions of a single player's actions. Sure, throughout the season, we had game cancellations and all this other stuff because of COVID, which made total sense. Um, but you can't let this be something that just breezes on by. This has to be met with as harsh of punishment as you can possibly get without crossing like a major line um, where like players are going to end up being like, well, that's not cool. But even then I think um, the rest of, you know, the league deserves better. The players, the personnel, like um, the rest of the people who are like working so hard to keep these stadiums, you know, in shape in order to, for like it to be as safe as possible for players. And yeah, the MLB dropped the ball on the entire like bubble situation as Scott said, but I think Justin Turner needs to be held responsible for his actions. And I think this could even affect him in his upcoming free agency. Like, I mean, who wants a guy who's going to blatantly ignore these health protocols during a worldwide pandemic on their team, leading their, like leading their uh, team to a potentially, you know, championship and all that. I wouldn't if I'm a GM and all that, but I think um, the league needs to come down hard on Turner and he deserves every bit of any sort of uh, punishment he gets. I think you got to think about this, too, is that there's no guarantee that next year's 162-game season and everything's back to normal. Yeah. This, this could be a problem for Major League Baseball heading into next season, is mm-hmm. working with protocols and understanding how they work. So, Scott, to your point, being a reflection period, um, you got to figure out what you're going to do next season because oh, yeah. you, 162 games it. with full fans is far from guaranteed. Sitting here in October. Point's going to go to Diego for being as extreme as to suggest a half-season suspension for Justin Turner. I respect it. I I thought about full season for a second. And 
<laughs> don't I'm, mess. Don't mess with Diego, man. I'm telling don't you, don't mess with him. That's a harsher punishment than I've ever seen Rob Manfred give. So I, for that, I'm willing to give you the point here. So congratulations Diego on the early than Manfred. Put <laughs> on a t-shirt. I'd buy it. <laughs> yes, you would. I, I, I fully believe it. <laughs> Shout out sports, by the way. Nice, nice sweatshirt there. Go sports. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, question two. So this is this is the fun one that we really haven't talked about. But it, if if you follow me on Twitter or follow Kelly, I, I know who was also super out smoking last night. Kelly, you had a fun night. Um. I wouldn't describe it as fun. Neither would I, and we had similar nights. Kevin Cash's decision to pull Blake Snell in Game 6 is obviously what we're talking about here. Um, it was <clears throat> excuse me, widely scrutinized as a, quote, loss for analytics or a, quote, overstepping of am- analytics, among other things that none were positive. Um, Alex Rodriguez saying the Ivy Leaguers got an F yesterday. Um what would you have done if you were Kevin Cash, first of all? I, I want to see what everyone thinks. These are all analytically-minded people. Did he make the right move? And or has analytics indeed overstepped? Kelly, you've been biting your tongue for a while on this one. I'm going to let you go first <laughs> Absolutely. and have I fun. Have fun. <laughs> In agree. a one-run game with a runner already on base, and with their team on the brink of elimination, as a manager, you need to be proactive, not reactive. Making a change was absolutely the right move because Snell's velocity was dropping. His fastball in that inning was at 94 miles per hour compared to the first inning when he struck um, bets out on a 98-mile-per-hour fastball. His curveball was at 78. His average curveball velocity over the season was in the 80s his velocity was dropping and there was no guarantee he was going to be as efficient against the top of the Dodgers lineup as he was previously. I would, I don't think that going to Nick Anderson was the right move, but I do think making a change was important and the right thing. I would have rather gone with Diego Castillo and here's why. Uh, in I, I, I forget who tweeted this, but uh, shout out to them. I'll probably look it up after, before we finish the podcast. In Snell's, which he defined as five innings pitched, nine plus Ks, le- one walker less, and one runner less, uh, pitchers who were throwing Snell's in the fifth inning had an ERA of 3.86. Diego Castillo has a career ERA of 3.06. It's not an amazing improvement, but in an elimination game, in the World Series, every marginal improvement is, in, is the equivalent to a mile of improvement. You need to take those margins wherever you can, and that's why I think that taking out Snell was the right move. I just think that Cash went to the wrong guy. Diego. <clears throat> uh, yeah, so, I mean, it was wildly scrutinized and everything, and I understand the scrutiny, uh, but I, you know... Analytics do say, like, yeah, it's not, it's the right move to make going um, back again, the top of the order and everything. But also, there is still a human element to the game. And I completely get that. I think, I think Cash isn't exactly wrong to be getting a lot of the criticism he's getting, but it shouldn't be as harsh as it is. And like a lot of people, like to Callie's point, she mentioned uh, Nick Anderson not being the right move. And that's, I think, where Cash went wrong. 
Like, I completely agree with that point. Um, but it's not – people fail to realize the Dodgers are also one of the most analytically driven teams in the league. It just gets overmasked by all the sheer raw talent that they have. Like, it's ridiculous to think analytics are overstepping because the, uh, the team who ends up winning also heavily uses them and, you know, is one of the most dominant teams in the league. So I think this is – I don't think it's a uh, – a hard hit on analytics uh, to a casual, more casual fan. It certainly seems that way, but you know, diving deeper into it, you see that it wasn't a bad move, but also I feel like if Snell was allowed to stay in the game longer, um, I feel like I wouldn't have hated that move either. Scott, what you got? <clears throat> um, I, I'm going to start by saying that a rod's point is absolutely ludicrous. Oh, that's <clears throat> kind of I think that, this, I mean, just straight up it is not a loss for analytics uh, and the, his whole Ivy League thing, and he loves bunting and whatever ridiculous stuff. Um, but uh, so I, I don't think that analytics took a loss. Um, I think that's ridiculous. And I, I think the reason is, is because it all comes down – I want to choose my wording carefully here. It all comes down to how you interpret the analytics. Um, I think that that is the most important thing. The interpretation of analytics can be different for anyone. Numbers are numbers. You know, that a number is always going to be the exact same in everybody else's eyes, but your interpretation of what that number means is where, uh, you know, opinions obviously differ. And I thought I was going to come on, on here and have a huge problem uh, with what Callie said, and I, and I find myself not, not. Um, I think that she, I think Callie's right. I personally, there's no way I would have pulled Snell. <clears throat> there, there's just no way. And whether that's right or wrong, again, is your interpretation of the numbers. Me personally, there's just absolutely no way considering and I know his velocity was down, but Mookie, Seager, and Turner were 0 for 6 with 6Ks against Snell going into the, when the lineup flipped over. And and I understand third time through the lineup, and I understand Snell even personally third time through the lineup. Nonetheless, the offensive numbers the third time through. I get all of that. Um, but I, I think um, my interpretation of how the game was going there's absolutely no way that that I would have pulled Snell there. And even if you do lean in the direction of it was the right decision, you can't be mad at him because the numbers say it is, and that's how you interpret it. That is 100% fine. Um, and I don't even mind like leaving him out there to face Mookie. And if Mookie takes him into the gap, then you pull him. And like I understand then like you know, a problem that could have been solved a batter earlier, I guess. Sure. That's, uh, I think there's a middle ground here that is being very overlooked. That is very reasonable and not like ridiculous to say. Um, and I guess it, like I said, it all just comes back down to the, the interpretation of the game and the interpretation of the stats. And I personally, 
how I interpret the stats looking across the board and interpreting how the game was played. I think that A-Rod's wrong because analytics actually disagree with what Cash did. And not in the sense of pulling him, but pulling him the exactly what he did. Pulling him for Nick Anderson, I think mm-hmm. analytics degree, disagree with that. Mm-hmm. So I think A-Rod's point is is completely wrong and it's not an F for Ivy Leaguers or whatever he said because the the Snell to Anderson decision is not what the Ivy Leaguers agree with it's not what analytically inclined people agree with it 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 didn't make sense Anderson had a horrible postseason um and even even Mookie's personal matchup with the righty lefty stuff like just straight up to sum it all up I I guess I would say I I disagree that I think he's wrong. I would have kept for at least one more better. And if Mookie takes me yard there, then I'll take that on the chin. But I'm I'm gonna leave a game knowing that the dude that was absolutely shoving blew the game, and I didn't take him out. You know, with that stat line that he had in that pitch count, I'm I'm gonna sleep well at night knowing that I. Put my faith in a former Cy Young or that that was absolutely dealing and and didn't go to a guy that was horrible all postseason just because the numbers said so. So I guess that is my 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 summary. So I I usually don't say much on these segments. I kind of leave go it off, to you guys. I go off. Let's just address first of all. First of all, I would personally have left Snellen. If I didn't leave him in, if I was forced to make a move there, I would not have gone to Anderson. I think, Scott, you hit it right on the head where you say, and I think you all kind of alluded to this, if you're going to pull him, Anderson would have been my answer. I don't think there's an analytically inclined person in America watching that game who said, yes, Nick Anderson was the correct move in that situation. That's not hindsight. That's nothing. No one said this. Like, let's be completely clear. There's not an analytics person in the world that thought nick anderson was the move there you can disagree on whether or not and i think it's going to be fair to disagree on whether or not to pull snow there's an argument to be made by someone like ryan sheriff a guy who pitched like nine innings in the regular season was the right move to go over anderson because he could have gotten a ground ball that had gotten his own play and immediately ended the inning right this is the last guy you really want to go to exactly there are there is not a soul on this planet who thought Nick Anderson was the guy to go to? He, and you know what? If he would have gotten out of it, I would have sat and said I would have never put him in. I would have completely disagreed with that decision, True. no matter what anyone, no you matter can what. Go the watch is. my hot mic and watch <laughs> me. You can literally watch me live. Go, what are they doing? You can literally see my immediate reaction on our YouTube page. Well, and someone clip in along with this. And you know what's important about that? Not only just clipping this and making sure that Scott is vindicated in what he says, but understanding that this was the same reaction across all of Twitter. What are they doing? What are they doing? What happened right there? To sit here, I'm not even going to go in on that yet. (sighs) Kelly, Diego, (laughs) Scott, can we sit here and say that analytics, while a tool, cannot be the only thing you rely on in a baseball game. There is a human element to a baseball game naturally that needs to be relied on in some form or fashion. We can disagree on the amount. We Can we agree that there's at least some form or fashion that there is a human element that needs to be factored in? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I All would right. say I, pr- yeah. I probably give more than the average person. To All right. Honest. And that's fine. Yeah. 
And that is fine, but we can all sit here as analytically inclined people. You work for Diamond Digest. You sign up on the day one and say, I trust analytics to be part of my decision-making process. Absolutely. Uh huh. We all just sat here and agreed, myself included, that analytics is not the be-all end-all in baseball. For sure. Right. Why the hell is it every time something goes wrong, the first person that is blamed is the analytics staff that put all the numbers together. Analytics is not a flow chart that said that you hold up and the manager sitting here is pitcher in third inning on or in third time through the order on the left side. Yes. Remove from game. No proceed as normal. <laughs> there is, that is not what analytics is. Analytics is not some larger term that you just, every situation is handled the exact same way. Correct. Analytics says Blake Snell has a 792 OPS third time through the order this year. It's 714 the second time through the order. It's in the fives the first time through the order. You can draw whatever conclusion you want from that as a manager. Interpretation. Interpret it how you want. For sure. Analytics' job is to serve as a tool in decision-making. Nothing in baseball is guaranteed. What analytics is there to do is try and give you some percentage and try to quantify what is so unknown. Because you are there to win ball games. If I went into my job tomorrow and said, I don't really trust the numbers. I just go by my gut with everything. I'd be fired on the spot. If I went into a job interview and said, I have no reliance on numbers. I have all the knowledge I need. I just go by my gut because I have experience. I will not get that job. Baseball is the only industry that is held up by its fan base that sits here and says, Numbers are bad and numbers are ruining the game. Numbers are making players better. Numbers are growing fan bases. None of us would be able to have the opportunity we have as writers without analytics and without what the opportunities that analytics bring us. It grows the game and analytics makes players and people smarter. And to sit here and every the Ivy Leaguers lost in the game. No, the Ivy Leaguers on the Rays might have lost, but the Ivy Leaguers on the Dodgers won. Which are still a top tier group of Ivy Leaguers. Yeah. Oh yeah, darn Ivy Leaguers. Dodgers are literally one of the most analytically inclined teams in the sport. Uh, Maybe number two, only behind the Rays, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Three games ago, everyone was shitting on David or Dave Roberts because of his decision making. (laughs) He bullpenned game six, won it because it all worked out, no one's saying a word. Well, the yeah. bullpenning thing wasn't intentional. Well, still, it still happened. Sure. It still that. happened, and it was bullpenned. And he managed it, and the players executed, and he, there was no blame to be put on his shoulders. Baseball fans f- forced the manager to want to fail conventionally than to fail unconventionally. And it's pathetic, and in no other league, no other job industry, would anyone ever have to fail, or have to be relied on to continue to fail conventionally. It is pathetic, and it frustrates me to no end when it's boiled down to analytics lost the game. No, Nick Anderson's inability to pitch lost the game. Zanino letting a pass ball get by lost the game. The Rays scoring one run and hitting under 200 in the World Series lost game six and lost games the three before that right yeah it is so pathetic to me 
And it, there's, there are not enough tweets in the world that can <laughs> encompass this for me. That word count. <laughs> it is not La- Everybody knows the greatest rivalry in the planet is Laz and the Laz versus They word made count. it from 140 to 280, and I still can't do it. <laughs> Name a better rivalry. There, there is no better rivalry in it's baseball and sports. <laughs> I have so many problems with Twitter. The word count being my biggest problem. And that's why we need podcasts. There you go. But my point is that I'm going to wrap this up now and say, again, to, f- to rely on players and managers to fail, un- or to fail conventionally and to almost force the game that way is pathetic and would not be tolerated in any other industry. And the fact that we continue to try and push baseball backwards as the entire world moves forward not only is a harm to the fans and their intelligence, but to the growth of the fan bases in general. And it's pathetic to me. And, and I can't get over how every time something like this happens, analytic fans agree that there is a human element to the game that needs to be taken into account. Mm-hmm. Analytics are not the be-all, end-all. No analytics person says that. It is the non-analytics people putting that into our mouths. And it's terrible, it's pathetic, and it, it, it gets this reaction. So there yeah. you go. No, he has an angry last rant segment to every podcast from now on. <laughs> yeah, sure. no, you, hey, hey, he was spitting though. He was. Yeah, spitting, though. I think it's safe to say Laz got the point there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just gonna pull you the point to myself. <laughs> I'm taking the point. I've never earned one. Before. I love it. I love it. I absolutely it. love it. No, that's that's. I mean, that's that. It, not only is it all true, but that's. I mean. I don't know. It's just one of those things that, um, and I not I don't want to like veer off track or anything, so we can wrap it up. But I I just think that um, when it comes to like the rule changes and the formatting and all that, like the baseball has always had a problem with with the refusal to allow kind of the new school or new era of the sport and kind of refuse to accept it when every other sport has accepted their new era with open arms and has oh, yeah. really increased fandom and ratings and baseball for whatever reason uh, has always had a refusal to do so. And I think everything you're saying is, is more, more evidence of that. Remember when baseball's tagline for a little while was let the kids play mm-hmm. yeah. that most hypocritical thing they've ever said for sure. They've ever done and let I, the kids play, but only under our rules. Exactly. And Can I add something wanna... really uh, quick. Yeah, go ahead. Um, the thing about the three facing the order of the third, that's not the only reason I support taking Snell out. I, I support taking Snell out because the margin of error in the one in a one-run game is so minuscule. You sure. need as much... Every margin is a mile in a one-run game, and so that's why I support taking him out, not just because of the three-batter thing. That's not... Yeah. And that's People fine. get so focused on that, and I think that's insanely ignorant. That's missing the point. For sure, and that's I think I think that's pretty much what Laz said. I think you guys are both using the the. I mean, there's definitely analytics that support what Kelly said, but the human element thing can be used for both sides of the argument too. Mm-hmm. Again, th- there is no one in America who supported putting Nick Anderson there. Maybe Nick Anderson himself, but that's really about it. Even that. 
And even Nick is like, really me? Yeah, you dude, sure? has, has, has he seen himself, Pip? Yeah, I'm my, like, I'm, my arm, my arm hurts. Nah, so I, I'm not Kevin, good I can't that. go in, buddy. You got, I, I got to tap out. Uh, I'm saving for Game Seven, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I will you say this. In, we're not getting there. I'll say this, and then we'll move on because I've derailed this far too much. Adapt or die. Adapt or die. Live by it. Adapt or die. Question three. The World Series was full of important decision-making on both sides, obviously. We talked about one of the most important decisions, but that, that was game six. There were five games played before that that got to that point. In your opinion, what was the most important decision made in this series? The one you feel had the greatest impact on the final result? I will start with Scott, since Scott hasn't started yet. Oh, man. Um, I mean... <laughs> it's really hard not to pick the one we just talked about. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. um, <laughs> like really hard. Uh, I will say that um, I think one of the most overlooked, I guess is how I'll, I'll word it, uh, decisions in the series was um, moving Randy from the three hole to the two hole. For the last couple of games, he was in the three hole most of the postseason and at the beginning of the World Series. Um, and then the last couple of games actually was in the two spot, which going again into uh, analytics, most uh, analytics will will tell you that your best hitter should bat two. Um, and I think that, that was a overlooked one that benefited the Rays and that I liked a lot. I also think that um, the one of the I, another I'm just going to say interesting again um, because I really find it hard to find any decision of greater impact than Snell for Anderson one, um, but another one that I think definitely had a big effect was the uh, the usage of G-Man Choi. Um, I think that a couple times in the series, uh, I can remember two, and there might have even been three, um, where he was used as a decoy. He was burned without actually having a plate appearance, uh, but technically entered the game because they did the... Uh, they had, yeah, they had uh, Diaz at first, and, and then they would bring in. They would uh, bring in a righty, mm -hmm. or a righty mm -hmm. was already on the mound, rather, mm -hmm. and then they'd bring out Choi, and then the Dodgers would go to their lefty, and then Choi would get pulled for um, uh, what's his face Brasso, Brasso, yeah, OU, OU legend, legend Brasso, um, and yeah, and I, I think that. Uh, that decision was um, – he did that a couple of times. Cash did that a couple of times, and I think that was a super interesting move. And I think, to honestly, one of the most overlooked, and it seems minuscule on paper, but it really, it really does make a world of difference to get him that whatever, two-tenths of an extra at-bat per game or whatever, mm -hmm. is still absolutely huge. And, and like Callie said, in a game that's so um, minuscule, where the mistakes are exemplified so much that it's mm -hmm. really important to be giving the dude with the most home runs and hits in postseason history 
Uh, you know, like I said, even if it is two or three tenths of an at bat more a game, that that could have been the difference. And in game uh, six was the difference. I mean, that's you know their only run. So, what you got, Kelly? I think y'all know what I'm going to talk about. Go ahead. Leave this series ends a game sooner if uh, if Dave Roberts has the foresight no, to have a lefty warming up. At the end of game four, you have two of the best lefty relievers from this season, in Victor Gonzalez and Jake McKee warming up. And with a lefty coming up, hitting right behind one of the most dangerous hitters in the game right now, why wouldn't you have one warming up to get the platoon advantage against him? That's a great question. That's a fantastic question. Yeah, I, I don't have the point. answer for you. It, it ruins one of the... Probably prevents us from getting one of the greatest walk-offs in baseball history, but who cares? You're, you're not watching a <laughs> walk-off if you're the Dodgers. No, I agree. Fair point. Diego? I mean, even just by oh, uh, championship win probability, um, uh, Brett Phillips' hit is like in the top 10 for most championship win probability added. It's a fair mm-hmm. argument. Yeah, ever. I'm pretty sure the for championship win. I'm pretty sure it's uh, it was number one all time. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's at the top. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool if you're Brett Phillips. <laughs> yeah. What you, what you got, Diego? Swing ever? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, my point being here, I mean, like I said, we already talked about like the biggest one, honest or obviously, but uh, for me, decisions. To allow uh, Glass now to just pitch as much as he did in his starts, where he obviously just didn't have it. Like I think those decisions were, I mean, they just they're hard. To, they're hard, it was hard to watch, especially a second start. Uh, Glass now just clearly struggling like a yeah. lot in his. Uh, first couple innings and being so uh, with the bullpen that the Rays have, you would think they'd be more than willing to use it. Um, I don't remember exactly how the game before was. Um, I think they had to use quite a bit of their bullpen, but either way um, th- with the, the talent they have in that pen, granted it wasn't exactly, you know, the Rays bullpen in like the playoffs. It wasn't, especially the world series. It wasn't exactly, you know, top tier of how it's been, but glass now I mean, this kind of goes back to, like, the human element bit. Like, he struggled. And no matter what the numbers say, like, he probably should have got pulled earlier in um, at least the second start. And, like, I think I'm focusing a lot on that one because it was such a big game and it was so important for both sides. And I think that's ultimately something that swings it uh, to the Dodgers' favor, um, being as, you know, they take that 3-2 lead after that, so... But Glasnow struggled. I think the decision to let him go as far as he did because it's like, oh, it's Glasnow. He's gonna, he's, he's great. He's got great stuff. Have you seen those 102 mile per hour fastballs? Like, yeah, but like, he's still like he can't find the zone. He had three wild pitches. Like, come on, he he wasn't playing. He wasn't wasn't pitching great. Like, pull him when you need to. Oh, the freaking irony of. Kevin Cash pulling really or starters too early, too late, whatever have you. Kelly, I feel like you'd get mad at me if I didn't give you a point where you talked about Dave Roberts. 
So I'll give you the point here. Scott, as you can see, this is a very subjective system. Hey, it's all good. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna stand in the way uh, of a, of a Laz Selfern point. So <laughs> that's fair. Oh God. All right. Let, let's, let's wrap this world series talk up. This is, this was, I was kind of proud of this one. If you were to print a headline for this world series, based on how it turned out and the occurrences along the way, what would it read? If you were writing an article on this world series and you were trying to sum it up in one headline, would you all have to do for your articles? What would you do? Did you give anyone a start? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Totally just blanked out. I was like, <laughs> I was like, I was like did he say I was that? like, wait. <laughs> um, Diego. All right. Uh, so if I'm writing an article on this World Series, uh, I think I know we, it's already something we talked about, but I'm focusing everything on why Justin Turner messed everything up. And that might be just the entire line. Interesting. Like, Justin, or, it, Justin Turner like messes it, messed it up. Botches something. I don't know. Something along those lines. I don't speak. I don't do word good, but that's fine. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't speak. I don't do word good. Yep. Either way, teacher, a writer here, a writer here, and yeah, the Diamond, Diamond Digest writer. <laughs> Dude, <that's Nice>. <laughs> anyway, but like, yeah, I'm focusing Probably so much on it. I I can't emphasize how big this whole Justin Turner thing is. We talked mm. about it. It's just bad for humanity. I'd say, like, and I think that's yeah. a pretty big statement. And like Justin Turner being so responsible and doing everything he did, we already talked about it. But like, I I think sports need to take baseball, the World Series, to take a backseat to that again. Like, move over World Series champs. It's Justin Turner's time because of his selfish actions. Like, that's really all it comes down to for me. And I think that deserves to get blasted. Like, sure, yeah, the Dodgers won the first World Series since 1988 and all that. But I mean, at what cost? It seems like at this point, right? Like it's, it's too big for me not to be like Justin Turner, you messed up, dude. There it is, Justin Turner, you messed up. That's the headline. I love it. Perfect. Love it. Glad we finally got there. <laughs> I don't work good. Scott. Um, I mean, I, uh, mine would it would have to be along the same lines. I, I would it would probably be something along the lines of, you know. COVID ends a COVID season. Like, I mean, I mean, we, we finally, we finally, we, we had all the problems at the beginning. We had, we had all the, the, the Marlins and then the Cardinals. And then, you know, the Cardinals had to play like basically a double header every game. And for the last month of the season and, and all mm -hmm. this ridiculous and the rule changes that are just ridiculous. And for the most part, a lot of people don't want to stick, but it was, a COVID season, so we put up with it. And then the 60-game the season, and we didn't even know if we were going to get baseball. And then we finally did. And then we we fought, we get all the way through the season, and everybody plays a full season, and we, we have the expanded playoffs and all this. And it's it was such a weird year. And, and honestly, it, it sounds kind of morbid to say, but it, it, it really couldn't have ended any other way. <laughs> like I, I yeah, really, yeah. I couldn't have seen it ending any other way than, than some ridiculous 
just just <clears throat> idiotic, you know, selfish move of uh, of of Turner and going back to the field and like, the picture that obviously went viral was him with the trophy, like like kissing his wife and, and like never having a mask in any of the pictures, and it's just like that this was this was the way like like i am inevitable like this was the way it was <laughs> always going to end you know what i mean like it, it yeah. was never not going to end this way and 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 i just i i i maybe that's it maybe maybe my headline is is <laughs> is, is i am inevitable like it, it was just never going to end any other way and i think it in a in a day where in a moment where it really should have been all about, you know, the this team that had fallen short so many times and finally overcame everything and finally stopped choking and and you know the the whatever rhetoric was was rewritten and just all this and instead it's instead it's about COVID because that's been the underlying theme all year. It's always kind of been about COVID, even even when your team was doing great, even when the playoffs started, expanded playoffs, yeah, because of COVID. Like, runners on second in the 10th inning, yeah, because of COVID. Like, at the end of the day, it, it always came back to COVID, and, and it was – it. this was always the ending. This was the ending this se- – I'm not going to say deserved because that's messed up, but this was always the season that w- – this was always the ending that was going to happen, I guess I'll say. And Callie. Well, now I feel rather shallow with my two uh, potential headline titles. Uh, first one was Salt of the Swing. Not only is it a reference to one of the best songs ever, the Dodgers averaged 5.2 runs a game in the World Series, which if they did that over the course of the 60-game season, they would have had the fourth-highest scoring offense in runs per game. And to do that against the Rays, a team that is known for their pitching, that's simply absurd. The second potential name I was thinking was Cash Out because of Cash's questionable decisions on when polling pitchers and when leaving them in. I like him. Kelly, I'm going to give him to you. Well, like yeah! Him. <laughs> mine would have been good. mine would have been along the lines of Diego and Scott. Um, for a moment, it all felt normal. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That would have been my only, The only time the entire season that I truly forgot about the situation we were in was the ninth inning of game five. Yeah. That was quite literally the only moment of the entire, and Lord knows I watched 60 games of one of the worst products I've ever seen put on a baseball field every night. (laughs) The only time playoffs included world series included all six games. The only time that I completely forgot like 100% wasn't in my mind at all that this was, you know, some weird season and COVID situation season was the ninth inning of game five. That, that was, that was pretty much it. And yeah, it, for, it did feel normal for a bit there. Well, that's depressing. I can't well, why it mostly because they weren't so depressing. <laughs> Yeah, you know, yeah. Not, I mean, I'm, <laughs> hey, I'm happier than anyone that we actually got a baseball season. Oh, I agree. It, it didn't even look like we were going to get that. So. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I think we're, we're very lucky to be in this situation, being able to talk baseball all year. Um, yeah. 
certainly something that hopefully in the future we don't take for granted so much. Yes. But that being said, let's already start talking about the off season because Woo. we could beat the dead horse around Detroit's favorite time of year, baby. <laughs> when they're off season. 500. Off-season. <laughs> we could beat the dead horse of Kevin Cash in the playoffs, or we could talk about the post or excuse me, the off season beginning. And at Diamond D- Digest today, or yesterday, by the time you listen to this, we already put out our quote way too early 2021 MLB power rankings. Additionally, right after the World Series, uh, Vegas put out some of their odds for next year's World Series. The Dodgers, Yankees, White Sox, and Padres having Vegas's highest odds of winning. My question is this. According to both our power rankings, which everybody should check out after listening to this, as well as Vegas odds, who do you think is currently getting overlooked in their quest for a championship this early on? I will start with Callie. I got seven words for you. Let's go Mets, baby. Love the Mets. <laughs> with a core of Dominic Smith, Brandon Nimmo, Jeff McNeil, J.D. Davis, and Michael Conforto, they have a great hitting core. That's Honestly, their outfield's one of the best in majors. Honestly, I would argue top ten, even top five. And their rotation is going to be great next year. The Grom is obviously the Grom, but they're getting Noah Syndergaard back. And David Peterson... I got a lot of high hopes for David Peterson. As a rookie, he finished 53rd in x and he was 65th, and he was in the 65th exit, the 65th percentile for exit velocity, and 70th percentile for hard hit percentage. I think they can be really good next year, and I think they're going to steal the wildcard spot in, that, uh, in the National League. Maybe not the first one, but I can definitely see the second one. Scott, do you see how she wins this so often? <laughs> yes. It is. It's yes, absolutely. <laughs> All right, what you got, Scott? Um, my two for overlooked. Um, I <laughs> my biggest point of all this is a bone to pick with one of Laz's fandoms, uh, and <laughs> being very highly ranked. But regardless, we'll get to that I didn't later. Rank him. The two teams that I think uh, might be getting a bit, or, bit overlooked, um, first off, and, and I view this as, <laughs> choosing my words carefully again, yeah, I look worry. at this as if I were possibly a betting man, which I am not. So it's a lot of it's a lot of value based judgments, right? Like which value purely value wise, which teams do I think are getting overlooked? Yeah. I will say that one of them, and again, not saying that this team's gonna go on some crazy run next year, but for the sake of argument, the Boston Red Sox are at the very bottom of a lot of Vegas lists. From a pure value perspective, I don't think it's ridiculous to say that they're being slightly overlooked or that given the, the ver- at least in a lot of the sources that I've looked at, they're very low on, on World Series odds, right? So... Uh, again, not to say that they're actually going to be good this year, not to say they're even going to take a step forward, but 
being only three seasons removed from a World Series, the possibility you have of getting Cora back, kind of lighting a fire up. It's really the same core from that team. Sale might come back. I think there's a lot of factors that the Red Sox are very down low, and I think purely value-wise that that's actually a super good value pick. The other one's the Astros, which is going to not be very popular for a lot of people. But again, with, with Springer looming in free agency and just the sheer fact that people don't want to put money on the Astros, so they slide down because people literally just don't want to bet on them because they despise <laughs> them so much. So, But uh, I think, you know, in a lot of the ones I – Again, a lot of my sources. Uh, I saw them very, very frequently in the back in the back part of the top ten, which I think is is value wise for a team that is uh, for the possibility of next season going in with the same championship core, but just minus Springer. And that's not to devalue Springer, but as it's a team game at the end of the day, and. If, if one person can't win it, one person can't lose it for you either in my mind. So I think value-wise, those two teams are, are, are the ones that I would look at for, for, like I said, purely value purposes. I think those are two really good teams to take a look at. And Diego. Yeah, so I came in with a completely different argument than the one I'm about to argue because I thought for sure Callie was going to go with Perez, but apparently she doesn't have <laughs> enough faith in him. So, uh, <laughs> either way, my, my pick here is the Oakland A's because, you know, the A's, they're out in Oakland. Like, Oakland, you know, let's be honest, Oakland, o- Oakland Coliseum, not fantastic. The team in the field is the best part of that franchise because the stadium is nothing to look at. Either way, um, they – Go, came into the season and they they played pretty well. Like they have the emergence of their catcher, I uh, Sean Murphy. Murphy. Yeah, yeah, Sean Murphy. Uh, so they had that happen, and like I mean, Murphy looked pretty good all season, and they're gonna get Chapman back healthy next year, like ready to go a full season. Hopefully, last throughout the whole season, and just you know, that's it's hard to overlook the fact that the A's have been a very good team over the last few seasons, and there's no reason they're gonna be slowing down now. Maybe they'll decide to spend a little money. Probably not, but maybe they will and get some, you know, some more pitching in that rotation. Maybe another uh, bullpen arm or another piece in the field. But you know, we'll see what happens. But I think the A's are often overlooked purely because they're the Oakland A's, like a lot of the time. Hey, and do I you have anything else negative to say about the Oakland A's? Yeah, dude, if looks could kill, you'd be six feet under right now, man. <laughs> I'm just wondering if you have any other blatant (laughs) slander that you'd like to throw on the Oakland A's while we're. I did look at the Vegas odds, and I just looked at uh, where they were in the diamonds and digest rankings, and I think just below the White Sox is perfectly fair. I did not expect them to win the Wild Card series. Yeah, I was ready to argue for a different fair given their history. I didn't think I was going to get. I also didn't want to take the A's from Cali because I thought for sure she was going to go for it. All right, um, Diego's going to get a point because he finally got his slaughter <laughs> in. I, that came out of nowhere. And Kelly, watch this back and look at the look on your face. It was phenomenal. <laughs> um, Scott, you're going to get your four, first point, too, for that uh, beautiful dance performance you put on around the point of <laughs> the Vegas odds. I, I loved watching you dance around Twinkle the point toes. There. Yeah, so what Mr. Twinkle me. Toes gets his first seventh inning stretch point. <laughs> I, I don't know what just happened 
I pulled out in a reverse card. I was ready. Yeah, I don't know what just happened. Question six. Early on, we have seen options declined on both Corey Kluber of the Rangers and Colton Wong of the Cardinals. Um, in the coming days, who else would you predict would have their option declined that you would like to see your team take a t- chance on? Kelly, you can choose either one of your two teams. Well, um, yeah, I'll start with you too, Kelly. I didn't go with uh, a. Uh, John, because they wouldn't provide any upgrade over a player on the Padres or A's. Instead, I went with Eduardo Rodriguez on the Red Sox. Uh, Rodriguez, he didn't this year to health issues from COVID-19, and there is a chance that he's very ineffective next year, probably doesn't even play next year because of those health issues. Last I checked, he was just starting rehab. But he has a 3.94 career FIP, a career opponent exit velocity of 86.8, and he upped his ground ball rate uh, in 2019. I think his ceiling is sky high for 2021, and I would really like to see the A's pick him up because I honestly, their rotation, it's questionable. It's fair. Diego? Yeah, uh, so for me, I think uh, I got a couple guys in mind. They're both coming from the same team. Uh, the Nationals have already declined a few options, um, one being um, that of Adam Eaton. And uh, for the Giants, um, the outfield has definitely been, um, how to put this nicely, terrible besides, um, yeah. <laughs> how do I put this super nicely? Nice. Super <laughs> nice. <laughs> Phenomenal. Yeah. It's about uh, as nice as your Oakland A's segment. Keep going. <laughs> Yeah, um, they they need some help in that outfield um, with Yaz out there. I think Austin Slater is a really good, uh, you know, corner outfielder, but you need someone else out there. I think Adam Eaton would definitely provide something uh, for the Giants, like whether that be you know just the leadership, um, the clubhouse, or the product in the field as well. Another national I think could provide some value to the Giants would be Annabelle Sanchez, um, oh. because <laughs> Scott noted uh, oh. former Detroit Tiger Annabelle Sanchez. Anyway, but the, oh, the Giants man. did a really good job this last year with Kevin Gosman and Drew Smiley both. Both very productive for them. Guys, you know. Uh, take all our former players. That's cool. Yeah, you know. <laughs> for sure. No, Something for sure, dude. Good. For sure. <laughs> Beat us in the World Series, then take all of our players. No, it's cool. I mean, it's not like you were doing anything with them, so. It's fair. So, <laughs> come, they can come to San Francisco. It'd be fine. But, yeah, I mean, with, what did they do with Gosman and Smiley both? Like, Sanchez can definitely have a resurgence and maybe be back to what he was right after he left Detroit. Or I have no idea how it was. I don't think he was good. I think he was good in Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> it was very good for a long time in Detroit, by the way. Yeah. But yeah. No, his last season fine. in Detroit was actually horrible. Like like barely like can pass as a major leaguer horrible. And then, that's a, that's what I remember. Yeah, and then when he went to Washington, that's when he had the resurgence. So mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Your point your point's valid. Yeah, but if he can just return to that, like um, that's that would be great. It's not like the Giants have a fantastic. They barely, they barely have a rotation right now. Like they need something, and you know, I think Sanchez could probably come in on a pretty low deal, and you know, maybe provide some value. If anything, provide innings. So nothing like a negative one more player in forty-one games to spruce up the outfield. There you go. Yeah, have you go. seen the Giants She's play? Back. <laughs> That's probably better than the rest. Anyone not named uh, Yastrzemski in our outfield. Oh, Have you God. seen Steven Duggar play baseball? 
I will say one thing about uh, Yastrzemski before I pass it to Scott. Yastrzemski has gotten a lot of uh, so, so one of the White Sox pages does like um, like mock off season plans, and all the fans get to show how uh, smart they are. <laughs> um, and there's been a lot of trades for Yastrzemski, and honestly, we are very willing to overpay for a 30 year old who just had his first good season. So in his second it, season, or excuse me, his second season, or in his second season, he had his in, first yeah, good one. First good season in his second um, season. At 30 years old, mind you, um, we got a lot of fans who are willing to trade a lot of stuff over to you. So I mean, I want to pass I, that along and uh, rob the socks because there are a lot of fans who would let you do that. Like, straight I, I for yes, who says no? <laughs> no, I, I've seen Andrew Vaughn, Nick Madrigal, oh, Cease. I, I swear to God, I'll take Cease. Honestly, like I swear me. to you, Andrew Vaughn for million dollars is a that's I can't even. I wouldn't I, give up Jake Berger for Yaz. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. I like I said. These are the same fans who tell me Rick Hahn's really bad at his job. And I'm just glad Rick Hahn's the one with the job. Fantastic. Scott, who um, would you like the Tigers to okay. take a chance on? Mine? Uh, I mean, if I'm just going to get like thrown with his stats in my face right after I say it, I, it's not going to go well because he <laughs> has not been good in a couple years. But I think that a really realistic and... Uh, someone that we wouldn't have to overpay for that I totally could see kind of a, a resurgence for in a very low stress and huge ballpark situation. Um, there's almost no doubt in my mind that Chris Archer's team option is going to get declined. And I truly think that the Tigers should sign him. And I, that is not a joke. That is a rotation that um, all of the long-term pieces in it are either going to be rookie eligible next year or are not even in the majors yet. I don't think a single person outside of maybe Spencer Turnbull um, in that entire rotation is a long-term solution. And for a team that's rebuilding and a team that's going to see a lot of top pitching prospects come up next year and the year after, I think that Chris Archer would be a fantastic fit. I think he would work in well, especially fitting the role. We have guys that love to throw sliders and love to throw them for home runs. So really he'd fit right in. Um, and I, I just think that uh, I, I, I just think, again, going back to in a different sense this time, but going back to value, I just think you would get him for dirt cheap. And I think that he's a guy that I would even, I wouldn't even mind signing him to a two year deal. Um, just get him kind of have him work on his craft, redo his stuff. If he breaks out and, and returns to form, which I'm, I'm not expecting or saying will happen, but if by chance it does, then beautiful. You have an insanely good trade piece of a guy that's returned to form and, and has control for another year. If you sign him to a two-year deal, uh, I think it truly could be a win-win for both. He, he would play in the big, by far the biggest stadium in the majors. You know, I, I just think it would really be uh, a, really nice win-win and if he does have a late resurgence so we don't trade him that when the contract's up it's not like he's like 38 he's still relatively young he can go back out there and 
and uh, retest the market a couple years later when the previous season wasn't a COVID season where where people might not be getting paid contracts they deserve this offseason because, you know, no fans and revenue was way down because of no fans. I don't know. I just think it's really a, a match made in heaven for those two franchises. And I know it's not a really a sexy pickup or a team, uh, you know, but uh, given the Tigers' current position yeah. and what we are trying to accomplish, I think it's a really good move for both parties. I like that move a lot. Um mm-hmm. It's someone I would actually be intrigued in the Sox taking a chance yeah. on trying to so, – someone needs to eat innings. Someone sure. needs to eat innings. Um, for your combination of just solid analysis as well as self-deprecating humor with the Tigers, you're <laughs> going to get your point there. Because um, I, I honestly really like a Chris Archer story. I know he's not going to make $11.5 million. I, I know they're Absolutely. not going to pick up that option. I don't think a rebuilding team should. Um, yeah. But I could see someone like the Tigers getting him for $5 million, getting sure. half of that as a rebuilding team. Um, no I mean, rebuilding a, team should be paying, paying him $11.5 million. He had a 3.75 FIP in 2018. He's not yeah, that I mean, far away upside. from – Yeah, he's, he's not, not that, that far, far away from success. From yeah, yeah. yeah. He'd absolutely. easily have a fantastic bounce back. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, I, I like that pick a lot. And as we move to question seven, you're all tied at two. So, whoever has the best bold prediction that comes true, I'll have to give you the point later on. Les, so. you have one. Hey, Les, you're at one, bro. Yeah, I'm you at can... one. You could you you could you up. could tie this up <laughs> down the road. You, your bold prediction could be the you could have a four way tie. We'll see what happens here. But um, as we talk more about the offseason coming weeks, certainly I want to know your boldest offseason prediction for the winter. And I will start with Diego. All right. Um, I think for me, wrong. all right we're done (laughs) no uh so you know this offseason is definitely going to be a really interesting one like there's gonna there's a lot of guys uh who i think could be on the move and the guys are entering a free agency that's kind of like you know different from every other free agency because a lot of uh a lot of teams we don't know how they're going to be willing to spend their money we don't know after this last season they're gonna like blame it on you know revenue loss from uh the COVID season and everything. So like someone who'd usually be getting like, like on a, like six, seven million, in the open market, like in any other season is going to get that, uh, going to be getting offered two or 3 million just because uh, teams would be like, Oh yeah, we don't want to pay uh, after the season. And we don't have the money for it. Try, try again next year. So I think that's going to lead to some guys um, signing some shorter deals. Like I think my, my bull prediction here is, uh, you know, one of the prize pieces of this off season is George Springer. Uh, coming um, out of Houston, I think Springer signs a one-year deal somewhere that you wouldn't expect him in a hitter-friendly ballpark. I think George Springer signs a one-year deal with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Interesting, love it because he's going to hit the ball out of there with ease. Granted, you know, I mean, he might bring a trash can or two with him, but that's fine. You know, we'll see what that will come out of that, uh, but. Yeah, I think Springer is going to end up signing a one-year deal somewhere weird, somewhere funky. And if he signs in Arizona, the ball flies out of that park. You're facing, you know, teams like the uh, Giants and the Rockies uh, a lot. And so it's not like they have fantastic pitching staffs either. So I think ballparks too. Exactly. A lot of hitter-friendly ballparks in that division. So I think he can definitely make himself a couple extra million dollars uh, after signing a one-year deal in Arizona. 
convinced me. Sure. I like it. Scott. Um, okay. So I'm going to – my – I don't know how bold this is. It might not be very bold. I have one mildly bold, and then I have one so ridiculously bold I might lose my point. So we'll start <laughs> with the first one. Uh, I think, to Diego's point, just going to piggyback right off him, I think that this is going to be one of the most – what's the word? underwhelming off seasons we've ever had. I think that owners are going to be way more strict on their budgets. I think that general managers are going to be in constant fights with owners about how much money they're allowed to spend. And I think that um, I know I I can't speak for a lot of other organizations, but I know the Tigers um, for the first time ever, uh, the general manager has to get every single move approved by the owner because of how tight budget is given the COVID season and how much money was uh, not lost, but money that was projected that they didn't end up with given COVID. Um, So I think that budgets are going to be way down. The only person that I see signing a legitimate, like contract we've seen before normal baseball multi-year like big fat contract is Marcelo Zuna besides that I think it is all going to be either either uh contracts at a big discount for way less money than we expect or like Diego alluded to just like one-year deals and then retest the market next year in a in a free agent class that's projected to be absolutely ridiculous um so i i think that's my milder take and then my my uh my my fat take is that the uh the detroit tigers are going to sign jt real muto (laughs) (laughs) i would like everybody to just just wrap it up just say thanks for trying um i think that it is the identical situation that the 2004 Tigers were in when they signed Pudge. I think this is a 30-year-old catcher, a one of the best catchers of his generation, arguably, uh, a team that is absolutely horrible, coming out of a rebuild, that has top-end pitching talent in the minors that's going to start coming up through the system. I think you locked down Rio Muto to a four-year contract, which totally just throws out my previous prediction, and I don't even care. <laughs> Okay, you sign him to a fat four-year deal. You you have him to to be the these pitchers aren't going to be wondering who they're throwing to every day. It's set in stone every time they take the bump. They can start working at him from a young age. It is literally copy and paste the exact same situation we did with Pudge. We 119 oh lost team. We signed Pudge. We had Bonderman and Justin Verlander in the minors. They came up. We made a World Series in 06. It is copy and paste. The exact same situation, and it's going to – history will repeat itself. JT Real Muto, future Detroit Tiger. Are you calling Casey Mize the same as Justin Verlander? Uh, both top five prospects that were 1-1 picks. I'm not – no, I'm not saying Casey Mize is going to be Justin – Justin Verlander was 1-2, actually. Yeah. I'm not saying Mize is going to be a uh, the next Justin Verlander, but I'm saying uh, our entire – we have five top 50 prospects. Like we, I mean, we have Mize, who's a top five prospect in baseball, Scooble, who's top 50, and Manning, who's top 20. Like we have three, un, undeniably three of the best pitching prospects in baseball who are all either 
about to be rookie eligible next year or right on the cusp of making the majors. And I just think with, especially with just how horrible our catching, we have undoubtedly without a doubt, undubitably without a doubt in my mind, (laughs) the worst catching situation in baseball over the last three years, there is not a single team that has had a ridiculously horrible product behind the plate the last three seasons. And I just think catcher is absolutely vital with all these top pitching prospects coming up and you might as well make a splash when probably the best one in the majors is available. I love that take. I rest my case. I love it. Callie. I got two for you. All right. I bet you Marcus Stroman ends up with a contract with a higher average annual value than Trevor Bauer. Mm. In this offseason. That's a good one. Nobody's. um, I. No GM's going to be bullish on players who don't have as that don't have a long proven track record. Marcus Stroman has never had an FIP above four in his career. Marcus Stroman is an extremely good pitcher, an extremely underrated one, and he's going to get paid this offseason as he should. I agree. Trevor Bauer doesn't have the same track record. I don't think that teams are going to risk spending a lot of money on him full at the risk of him regressing to his career norms. And I got a second one for you that I uh, think is quite absurd, but I quite like. Not only is Liam Hendricks going to get a qualifying offer and become the highest paid player on the Oakland A's, he's going to have a 100-inning season next year and have a four-war season. Assuming a full, a full like yes, assuming season. full assuming season. Assuming one sixty-two, yes. sure. Yes. I'll hold you to that one. <laughs> I feel pretty confident about that one. <laughs> Which one? Yes. Um. Yes. <laughs> Lance no. told me off air that his biggest prediction was that uh, Larusa. <laughs> we got to the end, and there was no manager talk. <laughs> I thought we were done. You know why? You know why? I just got added on Twitter in reply to a post. I don't know this person. Maybe Sox Twitter does. Dan Rowan. Oh, no. in Chicago. Yeah. I've heard the Just tweeted, don't be shocked at major Sox announcement this Thursday at noon. Yes, it is probably what and who you think it is. Good night, Chicago. Yeah. That's like Please. that's you know like fifteen hours from now. So that's fun. <laughs> Tony Larusa, future yes. Woodstock. Andrew, you know, give give me a contract. Would, <laughs> honestly, I would be remiss. Our viewers would be remiss if we didn't get a quick breakdown of your opinion about Larusa possibly uh, being your next manager. This is Laz's breakout podcast. In all seriousness, I think it <laughs> is actually important that, that so, a yeah. Sox fan talks about the possibility. Because we can talk about it all we want, but you're the one who knows what's going on. Yeah, <laughs> Diego Sweatshirt says sports, bro. Okay, he doesn't sports. know what he's talking about. We got to get your opinion. This is a baseball, right? <laughs> I... <sighs> <laughs> yes. I, I, I want to take it from the funny. I want to say, you know, it's been a while for La Russa, and I wouldn't be surprised if he decides to run the uh, pitcher out there hitting eighth because he forgets the DH is a thing in the American League. I want to say that, and I want to cry and pretend it's all okay. (laughs) However, the thought of Tony La Russa managing the White Sox 
goes in the face or against everything Rick Hahn said at his end of year press conference. Someone analytically minded, someone with recent World Series and postseason success. 2011, I'm sorry, is not recent. It's been nine years. The game has changed. Um, and a he's a guy who's just not going to vibe with a lot of um, the, 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 the player atmosphere in the clubhouse. Tim, Tim Anderson, Anderson, big outspoken guy, leader of this team. Tony LaRusso. If you're going to make a change like that, there's no reason to fire Rick Renneria. Seriously. No, I, if you're I gonna, agree with you. If you're going to fire Renneria and say, all right, part of the reason is he's a, not, he's a gut first guy who really doesn't like in-game analytics at all. Then what the hell did you hire LaRusso for? Right. What did he tell you that's going to convince you that he is not a gut first analytics tomorrow type guy? Like, why fire Renneria then? Lashley doesn't There's no reason. Larissa is a proven winner. You know, <laughs> There's no stat for winning, Laz. Okay. No. There's no. No, Laz. That is the argument on Sox Twitter. That is the argument on Sox Twitter. He's a proven winner. The game has passed Ridiculous. him by. The this game has passed. He, he was a proven winner. You cannot take that away from him. What so he did most... for baseball when he did it, fantastic guy. The Ooh, game sure. is not the same. You cannot also, pretend the game is the same. The, the Sox <laughs> pretending the game is the same is how they lost from twenty thirteen, from tw- excuse me, two thousand eight to two thousand fourteen. Decided to rebuild and finally caught up with the rest of the league in twenty sixteen. That's when they finally caught up with everybody else and realized, hey, rebuilding's a normal thing to do. You spit in the face of everything you've done as an organization by hiring hiring Tony La Russa. The no, I answer. The weirdest thing for me, and again, we don't have to like keep going on about this. Uh, I know we want to wrap don't. up, but the the, <laughs> the weirdest thing for me is I don't understand how it makes any sense for this young of a team that you you are planning on contending for the entire decade of the 2020s. That Correct. is the goal. Correct. There is no doubt that anything less than than constant either like playoff seasons for the entire deck, given how young this team is, the entire decade is absolutely the goal. And you are going to hire a guy who is pushing 80 to take over that young of a team. So he's going to manage till he's 90. Is that is that the expect? That's not going to happen. I hate to break it to everybody. He is not going to be the manager. He, he could win. He could win the World Series the next five years. He's not going to be the manager in 2030. He's not. It it doesn't make sense to me for what you're building to 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 be competitive for for years and years to come to make in what my eyes is a short term managerial hire when you should be looking for a a young guy, not only for all the facts you listed, that's more analytically inclined, but just a young guy, period, just because age is a thing and you should want a guy who has the possibility of being your manager for the next 10 years and not a guy who, like, maybe has five years in him. Like, I, none of it makes sense to me. And, and, and it, you can't, it's ridiculous. You can't make a, situ- or a decision to be, like, a short-term manager because our guy isn't available or his, our guy's right. not ready. What do you mean you're going to – A.J. Hinch is available. 
There are three openings. He in baseball. wants to manage your team. He there literally wants three to. openings. Who for- wouldn't want to manage the White Sox right now? Exactly. You have no the pick of the litter. No one. There is not a single manager in this sport that, when given the opportunity, okay, when and and Ward knows my opinion of the Chicago White Sox. There is not a single human on this planet that, when all. 30 MLB franchises are laid out that the White Sox would not be in their top five. And that is top not three. even a ridiculously hot take. That is a fact. That is a not, fact. It makes no sense. Let's not even no compare sense. it to the other 30. You've got three jobs open. Core yeah. is going back to Boston. That's a fact. You have... No your, one wants to manage Your us. competition <laughs> is your... All right, we're back. Um... <laughs> If you're watching this and you have no clue what just happened, um, this is clearly a very high-quality production that I put together on my computer. Um, I'm still trying to figure out what happened. It told me we were done recording. Uh, So we're going to start this again. Not the whole thing, obviously. We're going to start our conversation. And hopefully soon end it, because I don't like talking about (laughs) and the White Sox. I don't like talking about it, and I don't want to continue to do it. However, Scott was mid-yell. (laughs) <laughs> about you know the, the 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 White Sox and the Tigers being the two open um, managerial spots. Scott, you may continue yelling to all the fans listening. I apologize for my computer. <laughs> and go. Um, no, it's it's just it it to quote the great John Principe, the lack of fathom. Like it is truly <laughs> unfathomable. Like I I don't understand <laughs> how. You have one of the most attractive jobs, not only in all of baseball currently, but to be quite honest, one of the most attractive jobs that baseball has seen in the last decade. And that is not an exaggeration. And you can get pretty outside of like, like cash and Roberts, not that you'd want Roberts anyway, but like outside of like, like perennial contenders that, that, have their manager spot locked up for a while, you can have your pick of the litter. You can have literally anyone you want. And no one wants to manage (laughs) the Detroit Tigers. No one. Literally zero people want to manage this team. So bad, matter of fact, that we had to hire Ron Gardenhire because he was the only person well, Literally the only we interviewed one person, and it was Rob Gardenhire. Literally the only human being that would take the job. Okay, that is your only competition. And oh, by the way, you play them thirty times a year, and and because they're an interdivision rival, if you lose out on AJ Hinch to the Detroit Tigers, I will cry tears of liquid joy. (laughs) But it would be one of the most egregious decisions. And 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 this is this is coming from a person that as analytically inclined as we all are, we fully know that that a manager in baseball is not like Laz said earlier, the end all be all. It is not it's not quite I would say as 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 big of a deal as maybe head coach in some other sports. 
But when I tell you that this would be one of the most embarrassing, <laughs> egregious, and flat-out disturbing hires <laughs> of my <laughs> lifetime, I mean it. And you're and, 22. And I, I, hey, my team hired Brad Osmus. <laughs> You're going to tell me I haven't seen some stuff? No, I'm saying that's how like, bad it would be. Just, this is like an entire lifetime thing. Just absolute... I- I'm done. But like that absolutely ridiculous... Like, I, I'm mad for you, and I don't like you. Like, does that mean what I mean? Like, do you know how hard that is? you know how hard that is to do? Like, like... I'm upset for Laz, and I despise the franchise he roots for. Like, that's, that's got to take a special kind of stupid. And I guess that's what I'll close it on. You want to know something that's kind of sad? Like, Laz can make you real upset. That you guys are thinking about LaRusa, right? I remember at one point seeing something uh, in the Twitter sphere that Bruce Bochy would be willing to come out of retirement to manage the White Sox. I'm telling you, bro. And you're gonna pick Tony Larusa. Everyone, and you're gonna pick Tony. Well, I think Bob Bob Melvin. I, this is deserved. I <laughs> I have no more words. Um, I, I don't know who my manager is gonna be next year, and I'm happier than you are. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm gonna have Gabe Kaplan. I think I'm still happier than you are. We might have a Miguel Cabrera player coach, and I'd rather. <laughs> Honestly. Oh my god. I got nothing. I don't even know how to transition off of this. I'm just kind of the transition god himself. Can't I'm, even I I'm lost. I I I. Hey, when Tony Russo brings back those great '80s White Sox jerseys, you can probably go buy a replica on Fanatics using our code. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> brilliant, 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 Truly brilliant. That was brilliant. Kelly is correct. We do have a Fanatics code because we've worked with Hot Mike and Hot Mike and Fanatics are partnering together. Kelly, thank you for getting us off this terrible topic. You can buy a La Russa jersey. Yeah, you might be able to buy a White Sox La Russa jersey. I don't know. Do whatever you want with it. But if you're going to buy something from Fanatics, use our code. It'll be in the link description for this podcast, um, both on our website and wherever you're listening to this. Um, Helps us out as a page. Helps us be able to do new creative things, be able to pay our writers the the share they certainly deserve for making this page what it is. Um, something we can't currently do with the, the current environment just because we're an up-and-coming page. So using that link just to act in the same way you usually would, it's no extra cost to you. Uh, something we certainly appreciate, as certainly um, as Christmas comes and you're buying all your new stuff for all your friends and family. So Absolutely. like I said, the link will be in the uh, description. Um and certainly something we really do appreciate in advance. But that'll do it for us this season, folks. We don't know what we're going to do this offseason yet for this week in baseball. I think it'll be maybe this month in baseball. I don't really know yet. We this still have season in baseball. We have plenty of flexibility built in. Yeah. Um, it could be honestly just news based. I mean, yeah. we'll talk about it, I'm sure. But I have yeah, an episode where we compare fun. the playoff teams to Beatles albums. Yeah, Callie's got plenty of ideas. I will say that Callie has a lot of ideas, and Callie is a big part of how this um, podcast came together. And certainly her work is appreciated, and mad props to her for putting this um, 
all together and, and presenting this idea to me originally. Um, if anyone's got anything you want us to talk about on a podcast, just let us know. Yeah, send us thoughts, send us ideas. Certainly, yeah. we appreciate everyone who's listening, all the loyal listeners who've listened to all 13, and even if this is your first one. We've got plenty of content for you in the last 12 episodes if you want to go back in time and over this offseason. I know we have our offseason content coming up. We have plans rolling out for every 30 teams. Everyone plays GM for their team and decides what they'd like to moves they'd like their team to make this offseason. Um, but really, that is going to do it for us. Uh, I, I thank everyone who's been on this podcast. I thank Kelly for being the one who inspired the whole idea. And I thank all of you listening for a, a very this, – this one's rather long. I'm not going to lie to you, <laughs> comparatively speaking, but this was one of the most fun ones. Um, and I hope you had as much fun along with us as we all had on the podcast and throughout this year doing all of these. But in some form or fashion, we'll be around in the offseason and we'll for sure be back next year. So for Cali Sign, Diego Franco Carreno, and the always wonderful Detroit Tigers fan, Scott Bentley. This is Jordan Lazowski signing off. Take care, everyone. Enjoy your offseason as best you can. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening.